there's a group of people who like to do hard things. Specific group of people that say, here is a challenge and I am going to take on that challenge. You want to know some of the challenges that they do? Here's one. This group of people, one thing that they do is eat these things called African cave-dwelling spiders. There you go. (laughs) Shield your eyes, those of you who are a, a, a little queasy. These people say, here is a challenge. I am taking it on. Let's do it. Another thing that they do, swim with alligators. Get in the water with these ferocious animals that can quite literally bite off your arm, rip you to shreds. They say, yeah, I guess I'll get in the water with that. Sure, why not? What else do they do? They will go on buses, kind of like charter buses, as they're moving and jump from one charter bus to the other as they're driving across one to the other. Another thing that they do is they cover themselves in bees. Cover their entire body with bees. And my question to these people is, why? (laughs) Why would you do that to yourself? Now imagine if these people said, you know why I do it? it you know, it's just, just for fun. Just for fun. You know, just, you know, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's eat these spiders. Let's, let's cover myself and be like, that's, you'd be like, I mean, that doesn't really sound like a good why. <laughs> that doesn't really sound like a good reason at all. Like, don't sign me up for that. Now what if they said, oh, it's not just for fun, but the why is actually because I'm on a show called Fear Factor, and there is a prize at the end where we can walk away with a bunch of money. For some of you in the room, you'd say, okay, sign me up for it. Others of you, like myself, is really like, is $50,000 really worth getting in the, in the water with some alligators or eating some spiders? I don't know. But There is more of a reason why, and maybe for some of you, if I said, oh, $50,000 is on the line, this is what you got to do, you would say, that sounds like a pretty good reason why. Doing a hard thing is worth it because there is something at the end that I am gaining from doing this hard and challenging thing. And as we've been talking this entire weekend, the hard and difficult thing that we have to learn how to do is have self-control. And last night, we talked about how in order to have self-control, you need to be right with God. You have to be changed by what Christ has done, how he showed his love for us on the cross. And if you put him as Lord of your life, your life is going to be changed. You're going to have a different life than you had before. But does that mean that all of a sudden there's a flip of the switch and never struggle with saying no to yourself anymore? No. Oftentimes, even... In the Christian life, you just feel like you're saying, no, 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 no. Now the question is, why are we saying no to ourselves? What is in it? What is the motivation behind it? And that's what we're going to tackle here this morning. We talked about the dangers if we don't have self-control. We talked about how to have this self-control motivated by the love of Christ, but why should we say no to ourselves? Why should we have this self-control? Passage we're going to look at today, 1 Corinthians 9. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it. If not, it's going to be up on the screen, so don't don't worry too much about it. Um, 
1 Corinthians chapter 9, where it compares the Christian life to running in a race. Let's see what it has to say, the reason why, saying no to ourselves is so worth it. 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 24. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. You got that picture in your mind. The, the chopping blocks, you picture lining up a race, ready to, to burst off the scene. There you go, the finish line right there. Saying, guess what? All the runners run, but guess what? At the end of the, the, end of the race, there's a winner and a bunch of losers. So they're running hard in order to, to be the, the winner, to win the prize. Think of that athlete, that runner. Verse 25, every athlete, think of those runners, exercises self-control in all things. Think about the way that an athlete has to have self-control in their diet. Oh, should I eat healthy food or should I eat like a big pound of chocolate cake right now? It's like, well, maybe I should say no to chocolate cake. Maybe I should eat the healthy stuff. Oh, it's 5 a.m. and I'm supposed to wake up to go do my run in the morning. Should I do it or not? Uh, I guess I'll just sleep. No, they say, I'm going to wake up. Self-control, saying no to myself. Recovery. Oh, who wants to get in the ice bath right now? It's like... I don't want to do that. Or cryotherapy, where it gets like negative 300 degrees for like a split second. It's like, I don't want to do that. But athletes, they say, I'm going to go and do this difficult thing. Why? Middle of verse 25. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. Think of the prize that a runner gets, whether it's a gold medal, whether it's a ribbon, whatever maybe you've partaken if you're in track and gotten some sort of prize, ribbon, medal, whatever it is, that's what you're in it after. But we as Christians pursue something that is imperishable. Paul, verse 26, says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, just purposefully living my life for no reason at all, kind of like a chicken with, with their head chopped off, just running all over. No, there's, there's a purpose to this. Verse 27, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. That phrase right there, discipline my body, keep it under control, is the idea of giving myself a black eye, like striking myself, wearing down, punishing myself. And why do athletes do it? Because there's a prize on the line. Why, as Christians, is it worth it for us to say, no to ourselves. Guess what? There is something on the line. Point number one, you need to keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize. It can be difficult, even as Christians, to have self-restraint. I mean, apart from Christ, you can't have self-restraint. The entirety of your life, yeah, maybe here and there you'll say no, but the general consensus of your life is going to be whatever I feel like doing. Christian can say no, and sometimes that feels like, oh, self-restraint, but you need to see that there's so much good that comes if we say no to ourselves as Christians. One of it is there is a prize for the Christian. Think of that athlete when they're going through that difficult thing. Think of like Michael Phelps, one of the most famous swimmers of all time. What is the, th the, the punishment that he went through? Well, Every week, he would swim about 80,000 meters, 80,000 meters a week. He would train five to six hours a day and consume 12,000 calories every day in food. 
So that's a lot of stuff to do. And these athletes, especially when they get to the Olympics, is it like, oh yeah, I've been training for the past year and here I am, the best athlete in the world. It's like, no, they've been doing it for a long time. Years and years and years and years. I mean, more than 10 years. Sometimes like since, oh yeah, I've been training since I was seven for like this moment. It's like, like what? At seven you're like, I'm gonna be an Olympic athlete? It's like, yeah, I'm pushing through it. And I'm sure there were days Michael Phelps woke up, he was like, I really don't feel like swimming. Really, I gotta eat a, another meal to, to bulk up and have the, the energy to keep swimming? I don't feel like doing that. I don't feel like doing the, the recovery. But you know what I'm sure was in his mind as he was saying no to himself was the end goal, which is receiving that prize, the gold medal, or the multiple gold medals that he won over and over. He's like, won all the gold medals keeping his focus there on the prize. Let me ask you, the prize for us as believers is heaven, eternity with God. How often do we think about that? How often do we consider and ponder the greatness of heaven? Oftentimes, we focus on the temporary things. Oh, what's for lunch? Oh, I hope there's homework to... And we don't stop to think about, man, there's something bigger than just this life right here. And for the believer can look forward to, there's heaven in store. I can build up eternal rewards by saying no to myself as a believer. Heaven is far greater than this life. So let's take a few minutes to consider why heaven is greater. First, heaven is greater because you live forever with God. Forever with God. Revelation 21 talks about that. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and the new earth. So this earth being transformed. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Oftentimes when we think about heaven, the first thing that comes to mind is, oh man, all the, the riches and there's not going to be any sadness. And yeah, those things are true. But the greatest thing about heaven is we are forever with God. We get to see him face to face. Revelation 22, 3 verse 4 says, they will see his face and his name will be on their forehead. We're going to get to see God. I mean, Think of the Old Testament, for example. You said, hey, you're not able to see God face to face or else you're going to, what's going to happen to you? Going to die. Going to die, seeing God face to face. Here we are in heaven, going to be forever with God. You ever had a really rich, quiet time where you're in God's word and, and you're praying and you're like, wow, that was so good. Far greater than any quiet time you could ever have with God. No barrier between God and his people, they're with him forever. I want you to imagine for a second, if you got adopted into the family of like the famous celebrity that like you think is like the coolest. I don't know, I don't know who that is for you. If it's uh, probably like for a lot of people in here, dude, perfect. There you go, right? Anybody? No? Now picture you got adopted into dude, perfect's family. There you go. Ty is your dad now. It's like, whoa. <laughs> it's like, now, I mean, 
that's pretty sweet. Or whoever you're like, that's my tier one celebrity that I think is so awesome. You're now a part of their family. Before, let's say you weren't part of your family. Let's say you were an orphan. Now you're a part of that celebrity's family. Would you say, wow, that's so cool. Man, I'm going to have such a big house. I'm going to have so much cool stuff that, that Ty has access to. I'm going to, you know, he's probably get some awesome meals. I'm going to get to go to the new theme park that they're building. It's like, okay, maybe those things will come to your mind, but probably the first thing, if you're an orphan adopted in the family, you're like, wow, I get to be with Dude Perfect, right? I get to be with them. I get to spend my days with them. We're going to go out and do some fun things. I get to be with Ty, Garrett, the twins. Who am I missing? Cody, yeah, the talk dude. It's like, I get to be with them. You're not going to say, oh, yeah, I get all the benefit. Yeah, you're going to think about that. But really, wow, I get to be with them. In heaven, we get to be with God in a way that we can't hear on earth. It's amazing. Think about who God is. Creator, sustainer, made us, made you and I. If you're a Christian, he saved you. That is the God that you get to be with, the God that we sang to just now. Get to see him face to face. Talk about a motivation right there. Kind of going back to where it all started with the Garden of Eden, but a far greater Eden. One where the possibility of sin coming again, oh, what if we get into to, to heaven and then someone sins again? Well, guess what? That possibility's not, not possible. Isn't gonna someone sin in heaven because in the fall, they were uh, able not to sin, but then after the fall, we're not able not to sin, which means we have to sin, but in heaven, you're not even going to be able to sin. Not possible. One of the joys of heaven is, subpoint B, no more sin. No more sin. This is usually where we start when we think about heaven. I want to first talk about going to be with God, but now, I mean, all the blessings of no more sin. Verse you probably all know well, Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death, no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. All the pain, all the hardship, all the difficulty that is brought about because of sin, that we feel the effects in this world, no more. I mean, anyone ever stepped on a Lego before? Like, that hurts. Like childbirth and then stepping on a Lego. That's like, I think that the top two, like, <laughs> all, all the moms are laughing in there. It's like breaking your femur, uh, childbirth, and then stepping on a Lego. Uh, um, <laughs> that's, that's the order. It's like, no, but all those pains that you feel and you're just like, ah, and you have to like walk around like this the rest of your day. It's like, no more. That's no, more of a comedic example, but how about more serious example? When you were genuinely sad, maybe you were sick, got really sick, maybe you're sick right now, <laughs> no more. Family member dies, that's not going to happen. No more sin, no more pain, no more crying. What a good thing. Gone away. Next, eternal life. It never goes away. 1 Corinthians 9.25, we read it. These athletes, they pursue this prize that, guess what? 
who won the Olympic gold medal for the 100-meter dash back in 2016? Not sure. I don't even know. How about this? If you know 2016 because you're like, I'm a runner, I know these things. 2012, who won, who won the 400-meter relay? 1986, who won the 50-meter butterfly? I mean, they do it. It's like, oh, great, you won this prize, but uh, who really cares? We are pursuing something that doesn't fade away, lasts forever. I mean, picture you've got this table in front of you and you're hungry for some fruit. You're, you're parched, you're thirsty. Man, I just want some, some, some fruit to give me some energy, some sustenance. And over here on one side, you've got this delicious, fresh, ripe fruit. It's like, oh, man, looks pretty good. And then over here on the other side, you've got some decayed gross, nasty. I mean, eventually that's what the good fruit turns into. And are we people that are pursuing the things that don't really last? If you're someone who's focused on this life and not the next life, you're pursuing this trash, perishable sushi that I found in the trash can this morning from last night. I'm not going to eat it. That's disgusting. See, if we are just focused on this life, saying, oh man, what's, can I get the biggest car? Can I get the nicest stuff? I'll just say yes to whatever I want because, man, who cares about the future? You're going after this. This perishable, leftover stuff that is trash. Or are you... Pursuing things in heaven that last forever. Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, where sushi gets old a day later. <laughs> That's maybe the Nathan edition there. Verse 20. No, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The things that we pursue in this life, what people spend their entire lives for, can be lost just like that. You pursue possessions, guess what? A thief can come, steal all your stuff, and guess what? Well, you just wasted your life. Go, go pursue money. A hacker could hack into your bank account, take away all your money, and guess what? You're left dry. Pursue things where they decay, fall apart. Oh, I'm going to be a health guru and just be all about my body and be top shit. Well, guess what? Sometimes you're going to get old. You're going to get all wrinkly. And guess what? You're going to die. Or do you think, man, how can I say no to things in, that I want that God is not pleased with to pursue treasures in the next life that don't get old, that don't lose its value like the, the iPhone that's going to be released next year that we're going to forget about in two years. It's like, no, forever excited, forever awesome. But eternal life is not just a, uh, a length of, of, of time that, oh, it just never ends. Eternal life, sometimes described as abundant life, is a, not only a quantity of life, but a quality of life. That greatest joys you've ever experienced, the, the riches, the stewardship of jobs that we're gonna have, Way far beyond. Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. 
joy forever. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, we can have joy in the next life, looking forward to how great that's going to be, but that should give us joy in this life when I feel like, oh man, I don't want to say no to this thing. We can joyfully say, no, I'm going to say no. I can be joyful in this. It's not, oh, just got to say no because that's what the No, I can joyfully say no because I know what I'm getting is far better than the thing that I want to give into right now. Lastly, going to get new bodies. And all the leaders say, amen. (laughs) Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Because Christ rose from the dead with a bodily resurrection, we can have confidence that when we die... We will rise again and not just as like floating bodies around in the sky on, he- on clouds playing up. No, we're going to have real, literal, physical bodies. As Pastor Mark likes to say with fingernails and eyelashes and, and things like that. It's like tangible, real bodies. But they're going to be way better. You know what, what's going to be better? You're not going to get tired. I mean, who's tired right now? Like, I mean, like, oh man, guess what? Not going to get tired in heaven. Not even a need for, for sleep, because guess what? Energy sustained. You're not going to decay, get all wrinkly, gray hairs, back pain, oh, oh. it's like neck pain, like all the injuries that took place, it was like, not going to happen. You won't get sick. The need for hospitals, guess what? Not needed. Oh, got to take your vitamins. Well, guess what, mom? In heaven, we're not going to need to take vitamins. It's like... Well, you probably should still take your vitamins here. It's not a, not a well, we're not going to take it then, so I shouldn't take it. Uh, maybe not. Uh, not going to need to take that. Won't feel pain, broken bones, injuries, concussions. Talk about a good thing. Do we think about the joy of heaven when you are in the midst of, ah, oh, should I say yes or no to this, this temptation? I want to do whatever I feel like doing. Think of heaven and the joy that comes from it. You, if you are a believer, are more closely connected with your future inheritance, heaven, than you are with your past sinful life. Because the majority of your future is, guess what? Eternity. You're more closely connected with that than you are with your sinful past. So Colossians 3, live with eternity in mind. Set your minds on things above. That should be one motivator why we have self-control. Second, the good of self-control is not only for ourselves as we think about eternity, but also other people. Point number two, you need a sacrifice for the good of others. Sacrifice, say no, do hard things. Why? There's a lot of good that comes from other pe- to other people if you say no to yourself and sacrifice. The Christian life is described oftentimes as a race and we think of a, a running race, I want you to think for a second of a, of a bike race. Anybody watch the Tour de France? Anybody? A couple people. Now, as someone who doesn't really watch this, uh, <laughs> uh, I didn't know about it, but then I learned a little bit about you know, these races. 
I always assumed this was like a thousand individual writers competing against each other. But actually what it is, is there's teams of eight working together. And on these teams of eight, you have one guy who's the sprinter. That's the guy you usually see at the end. But then you have all these other helpers. Helpers. What do the helpers do? Well, probably at the beginning of the race, they're going to go right in the front and allow the, the sprinter to, to just drift right behind them, to take on the, the wind so that the person behind them, guess what, can sustain their energy to the end. Sometimes they're reaching out, getting water bottles. Even sometimes they say that if the sprinter's like bike breaks, you as the helper, get off your bike, give your bike, and guess what? You did your job. Well done. And this race is 21 stages that last 23 days where they bike over 2,100 miles. And they're working together as a team. And if you're that helper, your goal is, how can I help the sprinter? So that at the end, he can do the best and we can win this. You see the point there that I'm trying to make? The sacrifice, not just for, okay, well, I'm going to be the sprinter at the end. It's like, no, can we sacrifice for the good of other people? Because ultimately, that is also for our good. Be willing to do hard things for others, even if it, the benefit is solely or mainly for them. Give some examples. Gospel advancement. Sharing the gospel with other people. I don't feel like doing it. Well, are you willing to do the hard thing for other people? I don't want to do this. Well, it's good. You're called to do it. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 9, right before the passage that we're studying, 24 to 27, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. It says, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law I became as one outside of the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. You're like, whoa, law, not law, winning the Jews. What are we talking about right here? Saying, hey, there's a couple different groups of people, Jews, who had certain food that they would eat and food that they would partake of, that they would say, I'm not going to eat, certain uh, ceremonies that they would do, and the Gentiles who would you know, not have these same stringent food regulations as the Jewish people. And Paul is saying, hey, guess what? When I'm hanging around the Jewish people, guess what? I'm going to eat the food and not eat the food that they are saying, hey, we shouldn't eat this food. And hey, if I'm around the Gentiles, guess what? I don't have to put myself under the regulations of the Jews. I'm willing to sacrifice, be flexible, depending upon who I'm around for the sake of them. Verse 22, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. So the weak, some people may be able to understand the gospel. Hey, I, I'll make it simple for them. The weak, I'll, I'll talk in weak terms. So the philosopher, the, the high scholar, I'll, I'll talk in their terms. Why? So that I might win some. Win some what? Win some people to Christ. Does that mean, oh man, I'm hanging around a bunch of people, you know, drinking alcohol. So guess what? I'm going to drink alcohol with them for Christ. It's like, and get drunk for Christ so that I can win them for Christ. It's like, well, he said, no, clearly, because we're not going to go outside of the law of God, do things that we know are sinful, but are you willing to sacrifice for the good of those around you? Speaking of evangelism right here is what he's hitting on. Having conversations with unbelievers. And I know it's a hard point because if you're not right with God, oh, yeah, I'm going to go home and share the gospel with other people. Really? 
yeah, I'm going to reject God's message, but here I am going to go and share it with other people. Maybe this is a point specifically for the Christians in the room. How about this? Colossians 4.12, talk about sacrifice. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. Here's what Epaphras did. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. I mean, talk about self-discipline, self-control. He's struggling, praying for them. Only think about you praying for people who aren't right with God. I mean, sometimes prayer feels like a struggle, right? It's like, oh, I don't really want to do it right now. I mean, that's probably why you shouldn't pray like right before you go to bed, like, or like have your maybe your more extended prayer time, maybe not at night because it's like, oh man, it's, oh, I feel like I want to go to sleep. And it feels like a struggle. But are we willing to do the hard thing, say no to what I feel like doing, which is not praying, for the sake of other people? Or do we give in to excuses, oh, well, I don't want to do that, oh, whatever, I'm good. I want you to see that you can say no to what you feel like doing for the sake of other people. Picture, for example, you're at a family get-together. Family get-together. And you're sitting on the couch, let's say it's Thanksgiving, ate a big old meal, you're stuffed. Watching some football, watching the Cowboys lose as they do every year, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. I'm a Cowboys fan, I know, it's brutal. And Imagine, you know, family's inside, family's outside, there's a pool in the backyard, and there's, you got little cousins, and they're running around, and you've got a, a little cousin who roams a little too close to the pool and can't swim and falls into the pool. And all the other parents and adults are just kind of looking aside, and there you are on the couch, and you see, trying to swim for his life. Are you going to say... Ooh, I don't know if I want to get up. The water's kind of cold. It's, it's going to be cold. I mean, I'm, in, I'm wearing something, like, I'm going to get this all wet. Like, I ate a big meal. Like, you're not supposed to swim after eating a big meal. I mean, it's the fourth quarter. I mean, I, we got to just finish the game. <laughs> yeah, just finish the game. And then, I'll, then maybe I'll, uh, I'll tell something. Like, I mean, if that was your, your little cousin, you're going to, jump up off the couch, as I know many moms and dads, I'm sure, in the room have done, jump into the pool and say, um, like, no, I'm willing to set aside what maybe I inwardly feel like doing, which is I'll just sit here on the couch, to what? For the good of that other person. Hopefully, most of us in the room would do that thing, right? Or give me a little head nod if you're willing to do that. It's like, unless it's my best friend. No. Um, <laughs> it's like, no, you're going to willing to do that. And I want you to see that if you're willing to do that, clearly you are willing to sacrifice for the good of someone else. But all of a sudden, when it comes to evangelizing, when it comes to praying for others, it's a whole different ball game. Why is that? Be willing to do the hard thing for others. Not only help them physically and their life sustained, but ultimately being right with God or not. Another good of others, if they're Christians, you can increase holiness, and they can be more holy by you being a self-controlled person. Give them another example. 1 Corinthians 8 says, Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience within his weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So he's talking specifically here to the Jews who wouldn't partake of this meat, and he's saying, hey, if me eating this meat is going to cause this person to sin against God. Guess what I'm, going to, I'm willing to do? 
not eat meat around them. I'm willing to do that because I don't want to fall, give them into sin. Jesus talking about if someone was to cause even one of the smallest of these to sin, it would be better for what? Millstone, fastened around his net, thrown into the ocean. Don't want to cause other people to sin. The weaker brother, talking about here specifically. Are you willing to have self-control so that others don't sin? Does what you wear, is that a temptation for others to sin? How you joke, is that an avenue to cause others to sin? Oh, well, the joke I didn't say was wrong. Well, I mean, maybe it wasn't wrong. Maybe it wasn't like you could say a, 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 you didn't say a sinful thing, but is it going to cause somebody else to, to sin? What you listen to, what you watch, do we have that attitude, that mindset? Colossians 1.28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal right there. Believers to be mature in Christ. And we should be like a team as Christians looking out for each other, saying, hey, I don't want you to sin. I want you to live holy lives. He says, for this I toil. What is this? Uh, that everyone's mature in Christ. Struggling with all his energy. That's God's energy that he powerfully works within me. I know it's not me and it's just my own strength. Yeah, it's God working in me, but uh, it's God working in me, but I'm not just sitting on the couch. We're working together to, to see other people become mature in Christ. That's the attitude. That's the focus. That's the why. And I know it's not easy Self-control is hard. I mean, it wouldn't be self-control if it wasn't hard, right? <laughs> it wouldn't be. Like, imagine, like I did with some of the, the leaders, uh, narrow leaders this past week, we went to Korean barbecue. And imagine if I said, hey, your task of self-control is you have to say no to not eating Korean barbecue. So you're, you're, the, the challenge for you is, is you, you have to eat the Korean barbecue and you can't say no to not eating it. Does that make sense? Do you think that would be very difficult? Man, I have to say no to not, so I have to eat this Korean barbecue that I came to this place to eat? It's like, I mean, that's not, that's not hard. <laughs> What's rather is hard is if everyone's eating it, and I say, no, self-control is not eating that meat. I mean, for me, that would be really tough. Like, really? Like, I mean, I mean some of the leaders, Jose and Cozy, were just like down in like, for me, I'll, I'll have self-control when they pull out the squid and the octopus. It's like, oh, yeah, self-control, sure, I won't partake of that. Um, or the nasty food on Friday that we were drinking. It's like, I will show self-control. I will not drink those drinks. You know, just for you guys, I'll show self-control. It's like, well, yeah, if it's something you naturally want to do, then, okay, well, of course, it's easy. But if it's something you don't want to do, that's where really the self-control is shown, the hard thing. Yeah, say no to that Korean barbecue. Uh, oh, Really? don't really want to. How do we have, we talked about the wise, the prize, the good of others. How do we have self-control? How do we do it? Can't do it on your own. Apart from Christ, we've made this abundantly clear this weekend, you cannot have live a life of self-control. You're gonna do whatever you feel like doing you need to give your life over to Christ. Say, I am not my own. 
Christ is the one in charge. These terms, repentance and faith, repentance, these sinful things that I gave into that I wanted to do, I am turning away from that. I'm resolved to do what God wants me to do. And my sin can be atoned by trusting in Jesus as the payment for my sins. Have you done that? Have you given your life to Christ? If you have, your life will change. Not perfectly, never self anymore, but maybe here's a, a, a place once you can do that, then you can start growing in discipline each day. Point number three. Once you're right with God, you surrender to him, then you can grow in discipline each day. What does that look like? Discipline begins with these things that we call the spiritual disciplines. A, daily Bible reading. Or daily Bible intake, because it's not wrong to listen to God's word as opposed to reading God's word, um, as long as when you're listening, you're listening. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, because a lot of history, they didn't have physical Bibles, and so it was preached to them, so it's wrong for them because they didn't read the Bible. It's like, no. But intake, junior hires, DBR, posting on flip, edgers, DBR booklets, are you in God's word every day? Got to be in it. That's got to be a priority. How about this? Daily prayer, regular time in prayer. Oh, well, I kind of, I'm more like the pray without ceasing type person, that's great, but do you have a focused time where you say, I'm going to set aside this time to just, just pray? That's where you got to start with self-control, with self-discipline. Prioritize those things with your quiet time. Planning it, sticking to it, building upon it, if you're consistent, enhancing it, growing in that every single day, consistently. That's where it's got to start. Now, I gave an a example in junior high recently where there was a guy who set the record for going to Disneyland for the, the most amount of days ever. And I'm blanking on the exact number off the top of my head, but I think it was like 2,000 plus days in a row. Guy went to Disneyland every single day. Sure, he didn't always feel like it. I'm sure there were times when he had important things come up in his life where he's like, oh man, maybe I should do this, or, oh man, I'm feeling sick. But he says, I've got to go to the magic kingdom. <laughs> I gotta do it. I can't miss it. Gotta go see Goofy. Like, gotta see my pal. Like, another round on Matterhorn, just again and again and again. Like, cars ride. It's been like a week since I've gone in. I've gotta go again. It's like, committed. Are we, do we, it's a non-negotiable for him. Do we negotiate and say, oh, well, I just won't do it today. Or is our quiet time a non-negotiable? Talk about our quiet time. What does that look like for you? Lastly, growing in discipline, we see here at the end, discipline my body, keep it under control. This agonizing, it's gonna feel agonizing sometimes, but it's not purposefully, it's not unintentionally, but no, discipline for godliness. Think about temptation here. Daily resist temptation. Daily resist temptation. A couple biblical examples of people who did this well. How about this? Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife said, I want to sin. And Joseph, when she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me, he left his garment in her hand and fled. He said, I'm out of here. 
When temptation comes your way, flee. Get out of there. Don't give in to it. Maybe it's literally run away. (laughs) Or with your mind, mentally, go somewhere else. Words, ah, nope, holding it back. Final example, Hebrews chapter 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, it's saying, think of all the Christians before you that have ran the Christian race well. Because we have all those people who've done it, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. You given in to sin? Or maybe these, these uh, things in your life aren't necessarily sins, but they're holding you back from loving Christ and honoring him as you ought to? Lay them away. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now here's the example, verse two. Looking to who? Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Think of Jesus. Was it easy for him to go through what he went through? No. But you know how he was able to go through it, he was able to do it joyfully. Isn't that crazy? That's what it says. The joy that was set before him. Yeah, can't wait to go die on the cross. It's like, it wasn't like, a, oh yeah, it's gonna be great. But he was like, man, I know the good that's gonna come from it so I can joyfully go through this. Verse three, consider him, Christ, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, the torture that he went through, the punishment that he went through. Why is he giving this example? so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Oh, self-control is hard, hard. Don't grow weary or faint-hearted. Verse four, in your struggle against sin, that temptation, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Christ was willing to do the hard thing, even if that meant, guess what? My blood is literally being shed. Have you ever said no against a temptation so strongly that, man, yeah, Sweat's coming down, and oh, no. it's like, probably not. Here's Christ, the example for us, who was willing to do the hard thing on the cross for the sake of us. So, walking away here from winter camp, as we say, it's all about self control. You need to make sure that Christ is in control of your life. You've turned from your sin, put your trust in Christ. And then live a life of self-control, looking to the prize of eternity, looking out for the good of others, and starting even elementary here in junior high in the narrow with daily, daily time in the word, daily time in prayer, and saying no to temptation daily. Are we going to be perfect? No. But we can be a lot better at being self-controlled than I think we were before we came up to camp this weekend. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what your son did on the cross for us, that he was willing to endure the punishment, the torture, the nails through his hands, the crown of thorns, the flayed back that he went through with the whips lashing out at him. God, thank you for the example of Jesus who not only made a way for us to be saved but sets the example of what it looks like to live a life of self-discipline, full devotion to you. Help us to be motivated by 
heaven, be motivated by other people who were in before us, be motivated by the good of others, to be more self-controlled, walking away from this camp than we were coming into it. God, help us now as we sing this final song, conform us to be made more into the image of Christ. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.